if, if we could grasp what would happen in our lives and in our church if we truly lived, it's our, it's our number one value here at the chapel, depend on God. Amen. We rely on God and his word. And something unfathomable happens when we come to the end of ourselves and we say, I can't do it anymore. I don't, I don't have what it takes. The world is, is pushing this message. No, just find it within yourself and you've got what it takes. And guess what? We don't. But we know the one that does. <laughs> and living in dependence upon him, that's, that is where real life, real joy, real power is discovered. And, and, and relying on the truth of his word. And that's why we take time every weekend when we're together to worship him, to lean into him, and then to, to look at his word because it gives us what we need to live life. Uh, his way. And we're in the midst of this series that we started just a couple weeks ago uh, called uh, Habits, Developing Spiritual Disciplines. And as I think about habits, all of us have habits, right? Some of us have some really uh, good habits. Some of us, if we're honest, we've got some not so good habits. And some of us have habits that we don't even realize that we have. Uh, I was thinking about uh, the very first time that I ever got to share God's word before a group of people at, at, a, at a church. I, I was in the midst of seminary, and uh, I was invited by this little Baptist church in our hometown to come and to, to fill the pulpit for the pastor. And I mean, I was so nervous. I was so anxious. Uh, I had studied so hard. I'd run things by Lisa, uh, my wife, for, for, you know, for days. And, and we come to the church, and I, I got up, and I shared God's word, and finished, and I sat right down next to Lisa, my spouse, and she's my biggest cheerleader, and she's also my most honest critic. And, and we need that, don't we? And, I, and I, so I looked to her for some feedback right away, and I said, Lisa, what did you think? She goes, <clears throat> and I went, so, so what did you, how, how did I, did it come across okay? How did I, she goes, <clears throat> I'm like, what? She's like, that's what you did like the whole time that you were up there. <laughs> I had taken speech classes and homiletics classes about how to preach, you know, and I knew that the biggest no-no was to say, um, because that's what we do whenever there's like a blank and, you know, we don't know what we're going to say next. And so we, we just pause and, and we say, um, and so I was so bound and determined. I am not going to get up there and I'm not going to say, um, all, all morning long. Instead, I just replaced it. <laughs> I replaced it by clearing my throat like a gazillion times. Now, thankfully, I've overcome that habit, <clears throat> and um, <laughs> that's just allergies, okay? The allergies are really bad. So you're, now, now somebody's got their notepad out, and they're going to tally the number of times that I do that today. So come on. All right, so, so habits. We're all of us have them, but the habits that we're talking about in this series are, are spiritual habits that can become really the, the root system of our faith and life that help us grow to become the kind of people that God wants us to be, to become the kind of people, honestly, that we're longing to be. And so that's what we're here to talk about. The, the, the habit that we want to focus in on this weekend, it's really, honestly, probably a lesser known habit, at least. Something that maybe we don't talk about quite as much, and yet essential essential to our life with God, essential to our life and health with other people. 
And that habit is the habit of confession. So I want to talk about first, what is confession? Because there can be a lot of confusion and a lot of different even ideas. But, so I went straight to dictionary.com. The, the dictionary actually defines uh, confession in this way, to acknowledge or avow a fault, crime, misdeed, or weakness by way of revelation. That's, it's interesting that they would use that word, but the whole idea is that it's something that's unknown to others, and so it has to be revealed by us. Uh, it also goes on to say to confess is to own or to admit that something is true or to declare or acknowledge one's sins, especially to God or to a priest in order to obtain absolution. Depending on your religious background and journey and experience, we have lots of different ideas about what confession is and what confession looks like and what's the proper way to do this if it's something that we are supposed to do. When it comes to the Bible, the word that is most often translated confess, it simply at its root, at its root means this to say the same thing, to say the same thing. That is, when I, when, I, when I confess to Lisa, I'm confessing something that she already knew about me, and I'm just owning up to the fact that I know it's true too. When we confess to God, it's, we're saying the same thing that God has already said about us. When I confess to God, I'm saying, God, you know I'm guilty, but I'm here to tell you I know I'm guilty. That's confession. But maybe a, a, a next and maybe perhaps a more important question than the what is confession comes to the why. Why confess? Is this something that we're supposed to do as Christians today? What does it really look like? What's the, the backbone, backbone behind it? What's the real reason? And in 1 John Chapter 1, John recollects something that he had heard Jesus talk about when it came to this issue of confession and our need for it. Why do we need it? It's all about our relationships, our relationships with God, our relationships with each other. And this is what he writes. He says, this is the message that we heard from Jesus and we now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So, he says, we are lying if that we say that we have fellowship with God, and yet we go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing his truth. Verse 7, but, but if we are living in the light, he says, as God is in the light, then we will have fellowship, close relationship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, it cleanses us from all sin. And he says, if we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. Why? Why confession? Because we're all sinners. We all blow it. We all make mistakes. We all have seeds of rebellion in our hearts. And when we, when we do wrong, think wrong, act wrong, we need forgiveness, and confession is the link between our mess and, and God's forgiveness and joy and hope. Another reason or motivator for confession, actually at the end of that passage that we just read a moment ago, we find 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. The very next verse says, but if we confess our sins, God is faithful 
and just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why confess? Well, because we all blow it. Why confess? Because God will always forgive it. Our job is confessing. God's job is forgiving. That's his promise. There's nothing that you or I can ever bring up to God that he will not forgive us for. He's just waiting for us to, con- to, to walk away from hiding anymore. In a, I love what Gateway Community Church, a Bible study that I was reading of theirs on this topic of confession. They said, you know, the most dangerous problems in life are the hidden and unknown problems. These are the problems, it says, uh, that lurk below the surface, undetect, wreaking havoc, or preparing to make themselves known. They compare unconfessed sin to cancer. And I'm sure in a room this big, we have people that are facing cancer right now or that have or have loved ones that are. You know what the worst kind of cancer is? It's the kind that you don't know you have yet or that you haven't been checked out for. Because because if there's cancer growing in my body and I don't know about it or I'm not willing to admit what's going on, then I can never ever get help. It's the most dangerous form. When I think about it, when it comes to our sins and our shortcomings and our secrets, we'll do one of two things. We'll either confess or we will conceal. And unfortunately, even in the church, we've become professional concealers, just hiding, right? Hiding behind our Sunday smiles, when there's things going on in our lives that we know are unhealthy, that are not right, that are, that are drawing us, pulling us, tearing us away from God or our families or others. And, and so we conceal. And in Psalm 32, there is this powerful window that David, the author of it, gives us into his heart and soul. What happened in his life when after he had, I mean, he had really blown it. He had committed adultery with this lady Bathsheba. He had her husband killed out on the field of battle and kind of covered it all up. And he explains in Psalm 32 what happened both when he confessed, but also what happened when he concealed. And that's what I want us to take a few moments to look at. Psalm 32, verse 1, he says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin, he says, is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record The Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. It's like David saying, man, it would be amazing to be forgiven. Man, it would be amazing to be free. Man, it would be amazing to be completely cleared of the guilt that I'm wrestling with. Man, would it be amazing if I could live my life in complete honesty, with no, imagine this. Imagine what would happen if we could live life with absolutely no secrets. Because the reality is, we spend so much time and energy concealing, covering up, telling, telling one lie to just hide another. And David is saying, What, what, what joy, what Im- immeasurable joy! To be free, to, to no longer have to live a life of concealment. And so then he goes on. 
in the next verses, he talks about what happened as he, as he, as he buried it, as he concealed it. Verse 3, he says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. He says, day and night, your hand, God's hand of discipline, he felt was heavy upon him. And he says, and my strength, it evaporated like water in the summer heat. David says, when I confessed it, when, or when I concealed it, when I kept it in, it was tearing me up inside. You see, you see physical effects, you see emotional and mental effects, you see spiritual effects, and it was tearing his life apart. He says, when I kept silent, when I, when I kept quiet, when I kept concealing it, trying to hide it from God, trying to hide it from other people, it was killing him. But then look at what he says next, verse 5, finally. That means, that means it took some time. That means there was a, a period where he wasn't willing to come clean. He says, when I finally confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide, I stopped concealing, right? He says, I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. I love how he just calls it what it is. He doesn't say, I, I confess my, my accident, my mishap, my mistake, my, oh, I'm, hey, I'm only human. Hey, it happens to everybody. He says, no, I confess my rebellion. Like, I knew, I knew better. I knew it was wrong. And I did it anyway. He said the same thing that God already knew about him. He says, I, I finally confessed. I stopped trying to hide. He says, and you forgave me. And all my guilt is gone. Because our job is confessing. And God's job is forgiving. He says, finally, finally I came clean. And God forgave him. And then he, he gives this final plea at the end of Psalm 32. It's a, it was a plea for all those that would pray these prayers or sing these songs in the tabernacle. And it, it's a prayer. It's, a, it's an invitation to every single one of us that are here this weekend. He says, and so therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. David, he's saying, man, you don't have to suffer like I was suffering when I just concealed it. He's begging us to step into the habit of confession. Well, I want to take a few moments to ask us a question. Uh, what might be the result of unconfessed sin that I have seen, or maybe I currently am seeing in my own life? Maybe it's some of what we saw happening in David's heart and mind and strength, uh, restlessness and anxiety and tiredness or guilt. And, and there's other things that can cause some of those things. But it's a, it's a great time, it's a great opportunity for us to just investigate a little bit to go, do I see any of these things? And could, there be, could it be that there's something that's been left unattended in my soul that could be causing these effects? instead of concealing, moving towards confession. Well, I want us to now talk about the kind of the two sides of confession. First, confession with God, and then secondly, confession actually with others. But let's start with confession with God because that's where it all begins. In fact, I would say our relationship with God, it begins with confession. Like we can't ever enter a relationship with God 
without first confessing and turning to him. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, if you openly declare, or that, that word is translated acknowledge, or in the old King James, confess. If you openly declare, acknowledge, confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says, then you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from our own self. Saved from our own sins. Saved from the ultimate consequences of our wrong attitudes and actions for all of eternity. We, we can be rescued. We can be saved, he says, from that. For it is by believing, verse 10, in your heart that we're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring or confessing your faith that you are saved. Our, our relationship with God, it begins with confession, and then the, our closeness and our fellowship with God, just like in any human relationship, is, is determined by that ongoing confession, coming to one another when we've blown it, so that we can be close again. Second thing that we need to understand about confession is that we can go directly to God because of Jesus. As several uh, weeks ago, I was meeting with a young guy in my office, and before he ever visited the chapel, he just had some questions like, what do we really believe? And he came, came up from a different kind of religious background. He just wanted to understand a little bit more before he would even come to a worship service on the weekend. And he pelted me with questions, and we were just talking and interacting. And at the very end of our conversation, he looked at me with such, um, such a serious face, and he said, but I need to know one thing. He goes, can I can I still confess my sins to you? And I was kind of taken back by that. I've never, I mean, I've sat in my office many times with people that are sharing their stuff. I mean, I've never had, though, somebody say, ask, can I confess to you? That's what he was used to doing. He, he was brought up in a tradition where he, he, he thought he had to go to a pastor, a, a priest, in order to confess and to find find some, some freedom, find some forgiveness, have it declared over him. And it was so powerful me, for me to share with him that he doesn't, he doesn't need me. He doesn't need a pastor. Well, he, he needs one priest. And in fact, the writer of Hebrews talked about it. He said, so then, since we have a high priest who has entered heaven, it's no priest that lives here anymore. He says, Jesus, the son of God, he's our high priest. He says, so let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, Jesus, he understands our weakness. He faced all the same testings that we do, it says, and yet he did not sin. So, verse 16, he says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there, he says, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace when we need it the most. We can go directly to God because of Jesus. Jesus is our access to the Father. And there's no other go-between. In fact, Paul said to Timothy, there's, there's only one God and there's only one mediator. That is, there is only one go-between, if, if you will, between God and humanity that can reconcile them, that can bring them back together, he says. And it's the man Christ Jesus. It was so powerful for me to share with that young guy. That, yes, I, you can certainly talk to me, but man, I, I don't have the, I, 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 can't, I can't forgive you. There's only one that can forgive you. But we can go to that one together. Richard Foster says, 
Without the cross, the discipline of confession would only be psychologically therapeutic, but he says, but it is so much more because of Jesus. Because Jesus went to the cross, he says, it involves an objective change in our relationship with God and a subjective change in us, an inside-out kind of change that's brought because we, we go to God, we confess to him, and the moment that we do that for the very first time, when we stop following our own way, looking for our own saviors or trying to save ourselves, and we turn to Jesus and say, only you can save me, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Please forgive me, Jesus. The moment that we do that, there is an objective change. We move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We move from being um, under guilt and under condemnation to finding freedom and hope and forgiveness. And it's all because of Jesus and what he's done. So we can go boldly to God's throne because, because of Jesus. I love what St. Alphonsus Liguori says. Because sometimes, you know, we start talking about confession and prayer and we think, man, but what if I don't say it right? What if I don't pray the right prayer? How do I know that I'll be forgiven? He says, for a good confession, three things are necessary. An examination of conscience, real sorrow, and a determination to avoid sin. That's why I love another one of David's prayers when David said, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a dangerous prayer. But that's what he's talking about, a, a true examination of conscience. God, search me. Is there anything? Is there anything that I've thought, I've acted, anything that I've done, anything that I've said? Point it out to me because I need you. I confess. So maybe a next step question for all of us is, to what extent am I worshiping God externally, but internally rebelling against him? See, I, I know that sometimes, you know, it's very possible for us to come and stand and worship and celebrate, and yet internally, there's, there's something, something there that's blocking, it's blocking our, our fellowship with God, our, our closeness with other human beings. And God's, God is not excited about raised hands or, or loud voices if there's something in our hearts that's not been dealt with. And so he's inviting us. He's inviting us to confess. Well, the flip side of confession is confession with other people. And now you say, well, Todd, I thought... I thought, you, you, I mean, you just told us, like, we don't need anybody else. We don't need a priest. We don't need a pastor. You know, we can just go directly to God because of Jesus. And that is true. But James, in his writings, he adds uh, another layer that can, that can bring us freedom. He, he says in James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. And it's, it's absolutely true. You don't need me. I don't need you. We need Jesus. And we can go directly to God. But then in, in God's own word, he adds this other one another. Throughout the New Testament, we read, love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, challenge each other, serve each other. But we don't often talk about confess to each other. And James says it's through that confession to another person 
that another layer, another level of, of healing might come. I wonder, I wonder if you're like me and I mean, maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you've confessed your sins to God and you know that Jesus died on the cross for those sins and you know that you are forgiven. But for years, something from your past haunts you. And even though you know God loves you and God forgives you, there's things that... It, they, they just keep coming up in your mind. Things, things that we feel regret. Things that we feel guilt over. And I'm just asking, what if, what if God's calling you to not just talk to him about it, but to tell someone else to confess our sins to each other so that we might be healed, might be completely set free from whatever that thing was. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about this. He says, a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother or, or sister knows that he is no longer alone with himself. And he experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. He says, as long as I am by myself in my confession, my, my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought to the light. Confession. Confession to God and developing the habit of, of even confessing to one another, someone that's trusted, someone that loves you, but someone that, that you will see the, the, the hope of freedom and freedom of forgiveness in. Maybe a question for us is what, what's one thing that I know, maybe something that's come to your mind even today as, as I've been talking, that I know I need to confess to at least one person. What is that one thing? Who is that person? When will I take that step? Uh, John Ortberg is one of my favorite pastors and writers. And this is what he had to say about a moment of confession in his own life. He said, one of the most important moments of my spiritual life was when I sat down with a longtime friend and I said, I don't want to have any secrets anymore. He writes, I told him everything that I was most ashamed of. I told him about my jealousies, my cowardice, how I hurt my wife with my anger. I told him about my history with money and my history with sex. I told him about deceit and regrets that keep me up at night. He says, I felt vulnerable because I was afraid that I would lose my friendship with him. But much to my surprise, he said, as I uttered my faults, he never once looked away and his next words to me, I will never, ever forget. He said, John, I have never loved you more than I love you right now. He finishes, the very truth about me that I thought would drive him away became a bond that drew us even closer together. And guys, just what if 
the gap that sometimes we feel between us and God or, or the gap between us and others is there because the thing that we're the most ashamed of, the thing that we're so scared of, of God really knowing, even though he does already, the thing that we think, man, if, if others knew this about me, though, they'd never see me the same. What if that's the very thing that would help them see you more fully? What if that's the very thing that God is just waiting for us to confess to him and to confess to another so that we will know how deeply loved we are. And so this is how I want us to close our time together. I just want you to close your eyes. And I just want you to take a moment and I want you to ask yourself a question. Is there anything for which I feel regret or guilt? If you think about your childhood days, is there anything there? Or adolescent and young adult years, is there anything there for which I feel regret or guilt take it to Jesus or anything in our adult years perhaps within the last month or week I feel regret or guilt over. Take that right now to Jesus. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you know. I thank you that you care. And Jesus, we thank you that you can forgive oh God how we need you